you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Recording podcast episode seventy four. What's up, Neil? I'm much, man. How you doing? I'm good. We got a pretty busy day today, man. Two yeah. podcasts, one shot. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, always so fun. Got to limit our bourbon drinking so we don't end up <laughs> sloshed by the end of the night. <laughs> You're in charge. You're in charge of that. So we've got Zach Longoria with us tonight. Welcome, Zach. Hello. Hey, man. Glad you could be here with us. Happy to be here. Yeah, dude. Thank good. you. Yeah, appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. And we are drinking Old Bardstown tonight. Pretty good bargain, uh, bourbon. It's got a, it's got that rye kick, man. Yeah, it's that Willet, yeah, the Willet <laughs> rye flavor. It's definitely got. The it's flavor. got a, it's got a full body warmth to it. <laughs> yeah, one yeah. little sip, dude. You're ready yeah, to go. It just warms yeah. you from the inside. Which I don't know if that's what we need in this room, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, man. Cheers, Zach. Cheers, Zach. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for thank you for the bourbon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that rye spice. Yep. That's a, that's a fun sound. <laughs> All right, Zach, we're going to start off, man. We'll, uh, we're going to ask you to take us back to your earliest memories of music, where those memories came, and at what point in your life did you realize music was going to be a big part of your life? Well, I don't know the moment where I... But I, I will say this. Ever since I was a kid, I was always humming and whistling and, think, you know, just thinking about... Music and I always really gravitated towards music, but I think it was around when I was like ten years old was when my uh, went to I don't know some, my dad was in the Air Force and we lived in we were in Idaho I think at this time because I grew I lived kind of all over until I was about twelve when I lived here permanently. But uh, he uh, we were at a garage sale and there was this like tower radio system that had a record player on it and. I remember my dad had all these records that he had in the garage. We didn't have a record player, though. So I talked to him, and it was like 20 bucks, and he, he bought it for me. And I remember sending it up in my room, and I got out all of his records. And in those records uh, was like Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was yeah. a Off the Wall was in there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Thriller was in there, all on vinyl. Uh, and one of my all-time favorite records that was in there was a Jackson 5, but it was a Jackson 5 record when they were like grown up. It was like right before Off the Ball came out. No doubt. And it was all live. Oh. So, yeah. So it was like right before Michael Jackson like broke off to go solo, but like, you know, it was like adult Jackson 5. Oh. That record was really cool. But uh, Songs in the Key of Life, and, like Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson and Prince all were in that collection. And like, I don't know, those just like really influenced wow. 
me and made me just really love horns and soul music. And from there, you know, I, I started just doing more like as I got as I got older. Obviously, I I branched out from R and B and really got into like you know rock bands like My Morning Jacket and uh, Radiohead and got a little weirder and uh, <laughs> kind of just really started to explore experiment and appreciate all those types of music. But dude, yeah, that was pretty much how I started in my childhood. And then you know I got in a band and started playing instruments. And that's how I kind of learned some theory. And uh, then I picked up guitar. When I was in high school, and that was pretty much it after that. All downhill from there. I started writing my own songs. <laughs> so, 10 years old, and you, and you discover these these records. Were you, I mean, although you were whistling, doing those things, did you ever really catch yourself or uh, notice that a certain, that type of music caught your ear prior to getting those records and having that record player? No, I mean, I think, I, I think we're all kind of influenced by pop radio. And I mean, I was... Pop radio at the time was like the early 90s for me. So it was still very much like Prince and Michael Jackson that were happening still. Uh, so like, yeah, I think it's safe to say that those, those, th- that type of pop music really caught, caught my ear and I was really, mm. I really loved it. I loved Michael Jackson when I was a kid growing up, for sure. It's interesting, man, because uh, when I think of, of, you know, some of the stuff that you end up later writing and, and the changes in the, in the, that the undertone of what it feels like a lot of times is that, Right where you were at 10 years old and found that record player. I mean, there's a lot of that vibe to what the stuff that I think that you've written in the past that just gives you that feel, that feel-good smoothness. And man, I swear, yeah. there's something to that. There's something to finding that stack of records yeah. and your dad having such good taste. I mean, yeah. holy crap, dude, your dad had amazing taste he to did. have those records. He did. For, all, <laughs> for all, of his, all of his faults, man, he did have a mean record collection. That's it. Yeah, I'll, he loves when I tell that story too. Uh-huh. My dad likes to tell a story about how when I first got a guitar and I would be he'd like be here in my room like plucking away or whatever. And I like two weeks after, I was like, Dad, I wrote a song. He's like, how can you write a song? You just learned how to play guitar. <laughs> he loves telling that story now. And he's like, yeah, now he's like written three records. And like, you know, so he, he gets a kick out. He's like, I thought he was nuts when he's like, I'm, I wrote, already wrote a song. And he's like, but it wasn't even that bad. Like this first one, he just started playing guitar. Uh-huh. I taught myself how to play guitar by ear. Did school start your introduction into like theory and music? Yeah, yeah. So I I loved saxophone. I I, I think maybe like saxophones because I didn't realize then, but like singing, you know, like I, I was always embarrassed to sing in front of people. And like, really, it's a shame because I, I could sing, you know, mm-hmm. pretty well at that time, at least decent for a kid that was, you know, in middle school. Yeah. But I didn't really feel comfortable singing in front of people. Nobody knew I could sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kept that to myself. But a saxophone <laughs> kind of emulates a, a voice in a way yeah. and you can make it have a lot of soul and make it feel a certain type of way so yeah. that made me really get into playing saxophone that and, makes a ton of sense too yeah and a lot of the horn lines I've written you know myself really? yeah, just by singing parts just because you knew what you wanted to hear yeah and a lot of the horn players I work with I would sing sing the sing the parts to them and then they would just transpose them and play it on the horn <laughs> Did you start on saxophone about the same time you uh, discovered the record collection, or was that later? No, that was probably like middle school, like when you okay. could start playing in band. When like you the have a choice. I, <laughs> moment I knew they had band in middle school, I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I want to play, and like I just enjoyed playing in a group and like learning how to play music. I don't know, I can't can't explain it. Like it's a real thrill for me uh, as a kid. Well, prior to this, you mentioned being an athlete and having that team mentality. And there's probably some of that to being in a band and having that type of uh, relationship with other people as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. I haven't always been the best band leader at times, you know, a lot of growing pains. But uh, I like to think over the years that, 
you know, I've, I've learned some do's and don'ts. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I think now, well, I have to say now that I definitely have an understanding looking back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. of looking back and going like, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, I probably shouldn't have said those things or, you know, I think there's a different, I'm, I'm different now than I probably was, you know, six, seven years ago. But mm-hmm. for better or worse, I had a fire under my ass and I didn't really want anybody to, you know, slow the roll, I guess. So it was kind of like either get on the train or <laughs> get well, run over. <laughs> man, well, but when you have a vision, there's something to that. It, when, yeah. Especially when, you know, it's, you know, kind of your thing, your vision, your, your, this is the destination. And, and there is part of that that's, you kind of, you kind of got to shed the dead weight at sometimes, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad to say, but it's just, you know, shit or get off the pot type deal. Let's go or yeah. you can't hold me back. At and I've point. been really fortunate uh, through ZLP and Unusual Heat that I've gotten to play with some great, great musicians and build friendships that have been, you know, great. And uh, had people that have put up with me when, when I've been probably a giant pain in the ass <laughs> and continue to love me to this day. So, uh, you know, I appreciate all of them for that. Yeah. So you got your guitar in high school. Did you become obsessed with that right off the bat? Yeah. I think there's one thing I could say about, like when I first started playing saxophone, I obsessed over it and I just want, I practice nonstop. I get home from practice at, you know, basketball practice or football practice or whatever, baseball, whatever I was playing. And like, first thing I would do would just be dedicate, you know, an hour, 45 minutes or something, an hour to practicing my instrument. Casey Powell and I talk about this. Casey loves talking. Well, if you guys time, you need to be practicing. We always talk about like, you got to practice. You know? yeah. yeah. Play up your instrument, play it, do something musical every day. And that was just like, that wasn't even something to think about. It was like, I had to, I made time to do it because yeah. I loved it so much. But yeah, saxophone was the same way. And when I started playing guitar, uh, the first guitar I had with my dad had this like 1975K. I'm talking like the action was like a full inch. <laughs> like I, I built, my hands were raw, but I built them. And like the next guitar I got was like an ovation where the action, like it was like playing electric guitar. I was like, what is this like? <laughs> but I played this like 1975K guitar that my dad had, had forever. And it was just like in a closet. And I just took it one day and got it restrung. And that's what I started playing on. And then when my dad saw that, I was working on it all, all the time. He got me a nicer guitar like a year later because he had like seen like I had like just started playing it on my own. That's awesome. And you know, so you went from obsessing over sax and, and then taking that knowledge of music and then having the ear training. I'm assuming and, and transpose that yourself to guitar. Yeah, and just playing by ear. I remember. I think at the time I was really interested in like some stuff that John Mayer was doing because you know he was a big guitar mm-hmm. player and he had like really pretty songs and like learning. I remember I had this live DVD and I would just like pause it and look at his hands mm. and then like listen to like figure out what the chord shape was and like use my ear. Yeah. And that became kind of how I built chords. And even now, uh, even though now like I actually know what the hell I'm playing <laughs> or I didn't and didn't for years, like know exactly what chords I was making. And they're like, that's a major seven. <laughs> yeah. You're just playing jazz chords. You don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy that that's the guy for you because if it was 9,000 other people, you wouldn't have learned nearly the stuff you learned. But yeah. John Mayer's ridiculous. That's one, and that's just one of, that was just like the first guy on yeah, the journey. Well, you know? And if that's where you start and you just keep going from there because he, his his positioning, 
his knowledge of, of, of guitar, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't know if anybody's on TikTok or not, but um, I actually saw it on Instagram <laughs> from a different thing. But he does little guitar tutorials on TikTok about his stuff all the time. And yeah, just I love like, that. here's a little breakdown of, I love that. of this lick or why this sounds like this or what I'm doing with my playing neon. He was talking about his right hand and what he's doing. It's it's easy. You just it's all about this hand, not this hand. So, you know, check it out. It's pretty cool. If if you want to, you know, cool little tips. Yeah, we do have TikTok, but I think we only have four followers. I don't <laughs> same. <laughs> so I, I did the same thing with guitar. Like when I started, really like really, uh, when singing became something that I became also when I finally was like, I am a singer. And like had to say to myself, like you are a singer too. That was when I really started delving into and studying vocalists in a real way. And that's kind of when I think I found my voice. How did you approach that? How did you approach becoming a, a solid vocalist? Well, I mean, I'm still working every day. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like the most solid vocalist compared to like other people I've played with and sang with. I definitely have my own style, but I work at it really, really hard. And I don't know. I, I really love stuff that Stevie Wonder does. I think there's a lot of Stevie Wonder influence in how I sing for sure, but Donny Hathaway is like, as far as like singing with such a, an emotion, and when I started listening to gospel music, like Aretha Franklin's gospel record, mm -hmm. her live one that she did, and just like old-timey gospel, and just the the way, and I'm not a religious person at all, but the way that those songs can like move you or like, you know, make you feel something emotionally just like really struck, really struck me and stuck out, and it just felt like very natural for me to like convey an emotion and sing in some type of way. And I think when I when I started to realize that I, this is a style that I could like sing and I liked, uh, then this, when I would write songs, it just became more natural to like tie it all together, I guess. Was it all based on like emulation or were you watching things to get, you know, breath control or was it just listening, same way as you did guitar, was it listening and understanding that the instrument, which in this case is your, your voice? I think it's both. I think... At first, it probably wasn't a whole lot of like technique, like like breath and like you know what was going on there. It was a lot of emulation of like I was really into like how they made that sound and like figuring out how I can make my voice make those types of sounds mm. and like just practicing that or practicing little runs here and there. But then, as I started to really study voice, that's when I found out how to like hone in technique and breath and different stuff, which is stuff I'm still I still work on very very much to have good technique. And I feel like I've gotten better at that. I think if you listen to like the first record, the second record, and the stuff I do now, like you can hear the progression in my technique and like how much different my voice is. Have you taken any formal lessons for voice? Yeah, I've, I've taken some vocal lessons from a couple of different people. Uh, and I also just like study stuff uh, like master classes and stuff online mm -hmm. from other like really prominent vocal coaches about like breath and different stuff. Like, as I mean, if you know what you're supposed to be doing and the habits you're supposed to break, you can you can practice that on your own. Yeah. So I, right. I try to do that often and practice. Going back to your story about your, you said your dad likes to tell about you writing a song two weeks after you got a, a guitar. What, what do you think led to, to your desire to want to write right away? It sounds like you started writing from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I really loved songwriters a lot. You know, I, I think... You know, John Mayer's songs, I didn't, you know, I'm not necessarily like the John, biggest John Mayer fan, but I appreciated that he wrote all these songs and the idea of writing my own song was just very, very appealing. And at first it was a lot of trial and error, you know what I mean? And like learning how to structure songs and writing them and coming up with hooks. 
and stuff like that. And I've written probably, I don't know, maybe 70, 80 songs over the course of my life, half of which, you know, I've since forgotten. <laughs> yeah. But there, you know, there were some songs that I, I had written and I think I played the talent show in high school and I played an original. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, ballsy, man. That's yeah. <laughs> so ballsy. I played an original. I don't know if anyone liked it, but <laughs> it, it was mine. It's yours. Um, and, you know, it's just in that, and at the time, I wasn't really playing like R&B at that point. I would think I was still kind of finding what kind of genre I was going to play. And I've written a lot of country songs. I still write country songs because I like enjoy country too. Yeah. And country and R&B and soul are kind of married in a weird yeah. way. They really are, um, now, especially. I don't know. I uh, I just really thought, I started listening to like Bob Dylan, shit like that. And I got into Amos Lee mm-hmm. and then Ray LaMontagne. <laughs> and that's like when it really hammered home like the songwriting. And, you know, I, and listening to how they wrote songs and the different stuff they would play with. And once I started studying other types of music and then really studying how songs, like the structures of songwriting and delved into that, then I started to apply those formulas to my own stuff. Mm. You, you really approached it in a, in a way you were really putting it together. You were, there was no, there wasn't a lot of fat in your process, it seems like. So you, uh, there probably was fat in the beginning, but it's always, it's always been just like a refining over mm. the years of like, you know, what was the process then? And like, what, like, now that you know what you know now of making this record and like all the things that go into making a record, just from writing the song to the production to actually being the studio. And like for musicians, like if you've never done those things, the first time you do them, it can be a lot because it, each, each phase of those are different aspects of everything. Like if you're a songwriter and you, you play well live, like a studio environment can be a, something you really can hate if you don't embrace it or understand it or like the process of it. Mm-hmm. And some people really don't. Uh, over the years of doing it, I've learned what I like about each of them and what, and knowing when I go into it, what the process has to be to make it the most effective to get what we mm-hmm. want. And like, that's just taken doing it yeah. like anything else. You know, it's like your golf game, it's going to be shit if you don't play. Your mm-hmm. short game won't be any good. But if you play all the time and, you, you know, you figure out how to make those shots, eventually you get to where it's, you know, a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the studio, I remember you're right, stepping foot in the first time. You just, you have an expectation that you're walking in, you have this budget. Generally, it's about $1,000, $2,000 your first time walking through a door because you don't know any better. Right. And you really think that you're going to record and then walk out the door with something in your hand. You don't, under, I didn't understand the process and, and um, how, how big things can be as you know like oh my gosh now we got to do this and then we got to overlay and then um so from your first time in a studio until this most recent time what is how's that evolved for you is it just second nature at this point or do you know walking in you've got your your guys together what you're going to do or your group together what you're going to do and all the things that so it's the process is more laid out and easy I mean, I would say the biggest thing for me is that when I started to produce myself and record stuff on my own and like being able to uh, articulate what I want with another producer and be able to like speak their language, I think makes things way easier. Mm. And two, when you have a relationship with the producer going in, you know, I have worked with Ann several times and I've worked with Dave Chell at Dead Bird and I've worked with Kevin Radman before he left to go to L.A., um, on a few different things and Casey and I produce together it's like anything else if you have a relationship and that person you're going into this studio and that person is excited to work on your project and you're excited to work with them and you have a working relationship already 
uh, it takes a lot of that weird pressure away mm-hmm. and it makes it more playful and fun, which is where you want to be if you're trying to create in a studio environment so it doesn't feel so stagnant or, you know, you feel nervous or, yeah. you know, intimidated. I think a good producer can contribute to that that feeling and that atmosphere also. Yeah. You know, they can be good at making uh, clients feel comfortable. Totally. Talk a little bit about your uh, journey as a performer. So you, you started with a talent show in high school. How did your performing journey come to this? Wow, it was a humbling road. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of playing at bars where no one, no one gave a shit about what you're doing, and you know, they don't really they care. They didn't care about your songs or what anything. They just wanted to know if you knew how to play wagon wheel. You know, <laughs> did you start off about. as a solo solo act? I did. Uh, I started off playing by myself. So I played when I was in my early 20s for a while and then I had kids um, and that, and then I got like, you know, a real job and like mm-hmm. quit playing music for a while and kind of hung it up. Uh, but then when their mom and I split up and I moved back here, I was, you know, I had been writing, I never stopped writing and I was like, I'm really going to, you know, take a shot at this. And I did some singer songwriting competitions and I won them. <laughs> and I was like, that gave me kind of the confidence to be like, all right. Yeah. I don't think these songs suck. <laughs> so I think I need to figure this out. So I got a band together and we cut a record. And you know, we did we did WFK's Live Lunch and it was very well received and then we did the our album released at Headliners and we sold like 700 tickets. It was insane. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I mean I still I still can't top that night. Like, <laughs> I remember I remember being in the green room and a bass player at the time, he, uh, we were in the green room, you know, at Headliners and he he goes out there and he comes back and he goes uh, there's like a lot of people here. <laughs> <laughs> what was the and, name of this band? Yeah, uh, it was the Zach Lenore yeah. project. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. It, was our, it was our first album release. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and I mean it. It, it was it was surreal. I mean, is that was, the same group you're with now? No. Yeah, no? I was, well, I'm still with ZLP. Yes. We haven't like we're like everybody. It's just ZLP has a lot of moving parts. And, you got a lot of moving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of moving parts. People on other people are cutting their, their own records and doing stuff. And through COVID unusual heat, uh, was something that I'd always kind of tossed around and Casey and I were producing together and these songs kind of came to life <laughs> and I wanted to see where this is going to go. How did it kind of transition? That was it. It was just, hang, we're hanging out during kind of shutdown and, and, uh, because I mean, Casey, had had you know his own thing going too. You had a, a million things going. Without the shutdown, would this have been something that would have happened anyway? Oh yeah, I think Casey and I have been courting one another for years. <laughs> uh, you know, we've been we've been flirting musically for a long time. <laughs> 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 it's, it's just that I I finally asked if I could move from the friend zone <laughs> into a relationship <laughs> with him. And he was like, thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so anyway, we've been dating for a while. <laughs> uh, well, musically, uh, what's the what's the transition for from like what you were doing with ZLP to the new group? Uh, I think the I think the biggest thing is the the vibe and the sonic signature of what we're doing is different. Where I think ZLP had more of a like 1970s style uh, makeup of R&B, like, like, like Stevie Wonder or mm-hmm. anything that was coming out in the 70s, R&B, wild, big band, you know, rhythm section, uh, which is still what I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unusual Heat is more in that 80s synth pop Ooh. R&B vibe. Okay. It's, it's a different, 
feel all together with a different type of vibe. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Um, which I wanted to, the songs that I had written, which originally I had a single called Every Time I Close My Eyes, which is still going to be a single. And I thought that was going to be the first single, which we I recorded like two years ago when I was first flirting with this idea. Uh, and then the song that we're going to play today, which is the live version of the song I'm going to release, studio release next month, uh, I wrote, and that's the one that Case and I produced. And then I was like, well, actually, this should be the first single. <laughs> and that, and that, that's kind of how that happened. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of happened organically the best way you could ever want it to happen. And, uh, yeah, we're just thrilled to get to play together. And I think when we all actually played as a band and we did this live version and we listened to it back, uh, I didn't know they were going to be my band at the time. I thought we were just like, because this is like the band I had to use because it's COVID, right? And we listened to it and we're all sitting in a room. And I think it was... Uh, Will Breckner's the drummer looked over me and he was like, "Bro, I think we're gonna be your band now." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I think so too." Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's, nice. I think it's just gonna you. work. Thank I think you. it's just gonna work out. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to. So hear that's this how thing, we man. became a band. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll close the podcast with that track. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear man, it. Man, I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear the break. Do y'all have a full album or is it like it's an yeah, EP? We're going to do an EP first. That's uh, the thing to do, right? Yeah, okay. Anyway. I mean, it's the it's so different now. Like, tossing out a whole record is like, here's everything all at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, at least if you put one or two songs out at a time, it gives you kind of some something to build on and yeah. over time. It's it's all changed. It's so it, different now. It almost doesn't make sense to release a full record yeah, EPs are are, are EPs awesome. and, and, and singles. And, and singles. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just how it is, now. and it just gives makes you feel like the longevity of what you're doing too. Mm-hmm. Is it, I don't know. I'm into it. Well, and you know, I mean, I was resistant to it first because I like the old school of like you of make course. a record and you put the record out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And I, now I look back and I'm like, that was a really dumb thing to think. <laughs> it's just everything. That changes, wasn't good man. for your. That wasn't even good for your mental health. Like you're gonna put the whole record out at once and then what? <laughs> Start, Start the next. from yeah. scratch. You don't want to do that. Start all over. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I, plus, you know, everybody kind of self-promotes these days. So to have something to go, hey, uh, in three weeks, we're releasing our next single off this EP we're releasing. Yeah. And we have a show the following Thursday. It, it just, it, it drives self-promotion too. So, yeah. you know. I'm glad I have Casey around too because he's so good at, you know, the promotion <sighs> end of things. That's a good person to have. No yeah. kidding. He's, he's so good. He, he's really, we're talking right now about making it. Uh, now a, we know how the relationship started. <laughs> well, yeah. We're just, just a good yin to the yang. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we, we, we operate well. I think I said, I, th- I was talking about this on something else that I, I can't remember exactly what I was on, but you were asking about Casey and I and I was like, you know, we both, we both have ADD, which sounds like that'd be like a nightmare situation to people with ADD trying to create together. But like, it works very well. Like we counterbalance one another really, really well in a creative environment. He's yeah. got the AD, you got the HD. So it's just yeah. like, you put <laughs> yeah. them together, you got ADHD I mean, and it's I mean, everything I mean, gets I mean, done. ADD, a lot of people don't realize that like, ADD is a very relative, it's like, it's everybody thinks it's just like one thing, but like, it's very relative to each individual person. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's ADDs are the same. Yeah. Like, they're different in how they deal with them or like what makes them focus or whatever. Like, for me, the more things I have going on at one time, the easier I can focus on something. You know what I mean? Which is like not normal. I, it's, it's weird, but uh, it works for me. It reminds me of my desk last night when yeah. I was trying to put a song list together. I had 400 pieces of paper. I got that list done though. Isn't that part of AD, ADD is uh, like a sharp focus on certain areas? 
Some people are like that. Some yeah. people, some people too, like they need to be able to focus. They need like nothing else. Yeah. And then some people need like they kind of thrive in the chaos. Yeah. So I just like can be either one. Well, with all the stuff you got going on, it seems like you thrive in the chaos, <laughs> my friend. Buddy, I appreciate you saying that. That's what I need to hear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you say it. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> Uh, All of our listeners that want to follow you a little more closely in the projects you have going on, where can they find you on the socials and so music and all that jazz? On the Instagrams, it is at Unusual Heat Official. You can also follow at Zach Longoria Project. On Facebook, it is at Unusual Heat and Zach and uh, ZLP. Much easier. Uh, ZLP. That's yeah. Nice. Much easier thing to do. I didn't think it through on Instagram. <laughs> really underestimated the length. I mean, I should have realized that Zach Longoria Project was a bad idea. When, and every time I've ever been like, my name is Zach Longoria, and they have to ask me like five times what I just said. I probably was like, this isn't going to be a good marketing idea. <laughs> it stands out, man. Yeah, Everybody maybe we'll just, we should just change it to ZLP. That sounds easier. <laughs> I'm good with it. Whichever way, man. I, I can get it. So tell us a little bit more about this track we're going to go out with. So this track is called Just For Tonight. Just For uh, Tonight. I don't, play in, I don't play an instrument in this band, though I wrote this song on guitar myself. You play no instrument in this band? No, but, wow. I, I, but I do. Like, I make all the demos and stuff. I, I write yeah. them and like, you know, but, you know, Casey's better guitar. So He's, I just I have to acquiesce. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, He's pretty special, man. Which is fine. I, I do get to play guitar whenever it's just like me, Casey, and Pinky would do like smaller stuff. Oh, I get cool. to, I get, I'll play guitar and like fill in there, but it's not really necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's plenty of stuff going on so I can just like sing and, and that, which I look, it is fun to just get up there and get down and not have to worry about playing guitar and doing it at the same time. There you go. So I'm not mad about it. But I wrote this song probably I started writing this song right before COVID like I'd had the hook and then I started making the demo at home on my own in my own studio and then I was sending the demo to a guy named Adris a keyboard player in New York and a bass player in Nashville and they were sending me parts back and then I had another drummer cut it from somewhere else and by the time I had that demo together that's when I said Casey look what I have and he was like "Uh, can I help too and I was like yeah he's like I like this song a lot we should work on it together and then that's how we started working on it so this version is the live version that we cut at La La Land one take one take live uh, that we did with Anne awesome and we did it like in I want to say it was February when we cut this All right. feel like we get a bit of an exclusive here man I don't feel good about it <laughs> Man, we appreciate you coming out and spending some time with us. Yeah, we're thanks gonna, for having me. This was a fun conversation. Hey, man, thank you. We're gonna ask you to stick around and and uh, shoot some one shots next, and we'll get those. Uh, I'd love that. out on one shot, one mic, one song. We want to remind all our listeners to uh, please subscribe. You guys need to help us get those subscriptions up. We got like eighty five percent of our listens coming from non subscribers, so we got to change that. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so it does mean something to hit well, that subscribe a, button. I have a huge pool in Louisville, so I think I can get you probably like 15 more subscribers. Here we go, just for tonight.
It's been a long time since I seen your face, but there you are, trying to play like you don't want it. Remembering the days and all the love that we made, and now we used to talk about the things and all the things that we both wanted. Ooh. And girl, I know that this feeling is so strong, and baby, it ain't wrong for me. You know this feeling, it's so 